College football is officially back this week with the Utes and Gators doing battle in Gainesville. But what would a week one win, win mean for this Utah football team? You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. My name is JT Wistersell, and thank you for making Lockdown News your first listen every single day. This episode, I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Lockdown College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions may apply. Excited for today's show to be joined by the Salt Lake Tribune's Josh Newman. Josh, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate you having me, JT. Josh, you wrote a piece earlier this week talking about how this is the most important season opener in Utah history, and I personally couldn't agree more. I know there's some people are bringing up the game versus Michigan back in 2008, but the expectations weren't the same coming into this season. I think what's Utah getting their highest preseason ranking they've ever had before, as well as just the expectations on this team and the things they could potentially do. There's lots of people who have them in the top four, even in their personal AP polls that were submitted. This is a team a lot of people think could reach the college football playoff, myself included, if things go correctly. So all that starts with getting a huge win versus an SEC team that I think in a lot of ways, people have kind of wondered, okay, is this Utah team legit? The way you do that is by getting a win against a big time Florida team. Even if they're in a little bit of a rebuilding phase, it's still a win versus an SEC team. Yeah, no, I mean, you covered most of the bullet points there. I mean, look, you're returning 17 starters off a team that, you know, won the PAC 12 South got to a Rose bowl. So when you return, you know, the quarterback, the running back, 60% of your offensive line who started last season, uh, two legitimate pass catching tight ends, uh, your secondary is healthy, including your all American cornerback um, in Clark Phillips. So when you, when you accomplish what you accomplished last year and you return what you're returning, expectations are going to be very high. And yeah, part of the expectations, right? You're number eight in the coaches poll, you're number seven in the AP poll, this Florida opener is the most important opener in the history of, of Utah football. If you win this game, objectively, everything is on the table. If you win this game, you can finish the season undefeated, right? You can be 13 and 0 standing as a power five conference champion. If you are a 13 and 0 power five conference champion, you're very likely not getting left out of the college football playoff. That just doesn't happen. Now, in fairness, if Utah were to lose this game, you can still get to the college football playoff, but the margin for error becomes much, much slimmer. If you lose the Florida game, you probably have to run the table from there out. You probably have to finish, you know, 12 and one, uh, win the Pac-12 again. But the history of, you know, there have been some instances where one loss power five champions get left out. Of, of, of the playoff that has happened it's it's rare but it has happened so if you if you win the game at florida all all avenues are open all of your all of your long-term you know biggest picture goals are still out there there's just a there's a lot to be had and then you know besides the playoff you know um national recognition you know national perception of utah i feel you know especially down the stretch last season think about how last season ended right 
you you smash Oregon at Rice Eccles Stadium when Oregon was number three, potentially headed towards the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. So you win that, you beat Oregon again 13 days later to win the Pac-12, and then you play this you know epic Rose Bowl against Ohio State. You know you lose that game, but still the perception of Utah football has grown exponentially um, because of what happened last season. So again, going into Florida, as you said, you know, uh, retooling Florida team, first year head coach um, in Billy Napier, you know, not a team that is projected to even win its division in the SEC. But the fact remains, it's an SEC program, one of the toughest environments in all of college football, um, primetime game on ESPN under the lights. If you win this game, forget the playoff. If you win this game, the perception of Utah football will only continue to grow in a positive manner. And as well, this is a Utah team that if they win their first week, they'll move up in the AP poll as well as the coaches poll as well. I would assume because you're looking at that Notre Dame Ohio State match <clears> in week one. One of those teams is going to knock each other off. More than likely going to be Notre Dame going down there. So only continue to increase as well. And as you mentioned, you just it's so much easier to start at the top. I feel like, and sometimes if you lose your very first game, it can be okay. You can build up from there because it is a long season. But still, such an advantage to start at the top, especially when your first game in a lot of ways very well could be your toughest game. Because I personally don't think people understand. Like, yes, Florida is isn't one of the top teams in the SEC going into the season, but it's still a cross country road game pretty much in an environment in terms of the weather's already been talked about a little bit. And especially the atmosphere just to the first game of coach Napier's tenure, you know, it's going to be a packed house as well. So going from there, all those factors considered, I think is what makes this such a huge game. And when you're looking at it from Utah's perspective as well, Josh, going into this game, what do you think are the biggest things this Utah team needs to do to get that win down in Gainesville week one? Because for, for me, I think it really starts in the trenches. I feel like they have to be consistent there, get after Anthony Richardson, as well as protect Cam Rising, something they did a really good job of last year. But what do you think some of the biggest keys are? Yeah, you know, we've talked about the offensive line uh, ad nauseum this month. You know, uh, again, 60% of the projected starters this year started last year. So, you know, we, there's been a lot made about, you know, in general, Utah's offensive line and Jim Harding, the offensive line coach, about how they, you know, they tend to start slow in some years. And in most years, that's okay because you're playing Weber State, you're playing Southern Utah, you're playing Idaho State. You can plug in some young guys and see what you have and work on your depth. And, and those first, you know, that first game or two is generally a good time, you know, to try to figure some things out. But Utah is obviously, you know, they're going into the deep end here. Okay. This isn't Weber. This isn't Southern Utah. This is Florida, right? Real deal SEC cross country trip on the road. You have to have the offensive line figured out week one. You have to have those guys ready to go. So that's a, that's a major like storyline as we, as we head towards Gainesville is what is the offensive line going to look like immediately? Because we, you know, we remember last year, right. Going through camp, Last August, the offensive line was banged up. You had guys shuffling, uh, um, shuffling positions. They were not good for the first two or three weeks until they figured it out. So there's not a whole lot of time for that. And then I think the other thing that, well, two more things stick out to me, one on offense, one on defense. Offensively, a big storyline of camp this month has been Kyle Whittingham's desire to have Cam rise and go down the field more. Okay. And that, that goes back to, you know, the strength of his surgically repaired shoulder, you know, rising says that his shoulder is feeling much better than a year ago. You think Devon Valley can be that guy that can go, you know, outside over the top 
of a defender. You think that Solomon Enos can also be that guy, big, you know, physical target, um, money parks in the slot, presumably taking over for Britton Covey. So what does the wide receiver core look like? Because the wide receiver position has not been a huge position of strength uh, for the last few years. And then defensively, linebacker. You know, what are they doing at linebacker? Devin Lloyd, Nephi Sewell gone to the NFL. You don't just replace a couple of guys like that, but that position room, the linebacker room, at least to me, is the most talented room, the deepest room within the defense, but those guys are just mostly pretty green. They haven't played a ton, okay? So what are we looking at here? Uh, Mo Diabate, the Florida transfer, you know, brings an older, savvier presence to the room, played in 37 games at Florida, started 17 of them. And then you start getting into, you know, uh, Kareni Reed played well in spots last year as a as a freshman. Uh, Lander Barton, right, 18 year old true freshman, four star, you know, big dog recruit. Lander Barton again, no shallow end. So you know they're going to throw Lander Barton in into the deep end here, game one, to see what he can do. So um, you know, and I've said this and I've written this, you know, many times over the last eight months. Very talented Utah team. They don't have a ton of questions um, around the roster, but the questions they do have are like vitally important wide receiver um, and linebacker. So uh, very, very intrigued to see how this all plays out. We've been talking about this forever and writing about this forever. I'm looking forward to finally getting to Gainesville and, and, and really getting a better gauge of what we're looking at. You're right. It does feel like a while ago since we're on the Rose Bowl and everything. As soon as that game ended, everyone was excited for Florida. And now we've one of those things. A lot of times you talk about these kind of things and it's like, oh, that feels like it was just yesterday. No. Well, now it's starting to feel like it was forever ago because we have been forever. talking about it so much. Yep. Just waiting and waiting and waiting. So it is going to be so great to finally get out the field. And one thing that's so interesting is you get a Pac-12 team taking on an SEC team, which is a very interesting dynamic. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But first, I want to take a second and tell you guys about a message from the NHTSA. Are you one of those people who think it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit. It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction time is slowed way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone else around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. So, Josh, one thing that makes this first game so interesting is you get Utah, a Pac-12 team, heading down to the SEC to take on Florida. And when you're talking about in terms of how college football conferences are viewed at a Power 5 level, nationally, the SEC would be at the top and the Pac-12 would be at the bottom, according to most people. And I think that's one thing that makes this matchup so interesting as well, is you get a lot of people who have, even though Utah is getting a high ranking, I think a lot of people are looking at Utah like, what have they done? Sure, they won the Pac-12, but who is it there? And I'm curious for you as someone who lived in New York, what do you think about the perception that the national media has about the Pac-12? And it's something that I think in a lot of ways, it can be argued in terms of it being at the bottom, because you look at it, you only have teams in like, Washington, Oregon are the only two Pac-12 teams that ever have made the college football playoff. And it's not like every year the Pac-12 has been at the bottom, but just in, when you look at the consistency of the last 10 years, it does feel like the Pac-12 has been there. And I think it's why a team like Utah, even though they're really good, a lot of people on that East Coast still disrespect them. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably fair, but I think a lot of that is 
is warranted. You know, your, your value as a power five conference is at least partially connected to, well, what are you doing in the postseason? More specifically, are you getting to the college football playoff? Uh, Oregon got to the inaugural, uh, the inaugural college football playoff back in 2014. Washington got there in 2016 and got completely outclassed by Alabama in, I believe, the Peach Bowl in a semifinal. And, you know, the Pac-12 has not been back to the college football playoff. And in most years, they're not even sniffing the college football playoff. We're not talking about a Pac-12 team finishing like fifth, sixth, seventh, just outside the four. Like that, that's just not happening. You know, Utah won the Utah won the Pac-12 last year and they finished like number, I think, 11 in the college, in the college football playoff ranking. So, you know, we talked earlier about Utah's national perception, how it's grown with the way they played late last season. But if the Pac-12 wants to improve its national perception, two things, it needs to, it needs to get to a college football playoff. Okay. Whether it's Utah or USC or Oregon, like somebody has to, somebody has to break through, but more in the immediate sense, the Pac-12's national perception can improve. It can improve on September 3rd, okay? Because Utah is playing Florida, prime time, but Oregon is also going to Atlanta to play Georgia, okay? Oregon is kind of this intriguing team, right, with Dan Lanning, first-year head coach, uh, former defensive coordinator at Georgia. Lanning is... Again, first-year head coach, you're trying to turn the roster over, but for this season, you're still coaching a lot of players that Mario Cristobal recruited. So um, I think Oregon can be very good. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia, but I will be curious to see, you know, how well Oregon can hang with a team like that. You know, Oregon with a ferocious defense, right, won the national championship last season. Um, so, yeah, you know, national perception is, is tied to a lot of things, but in, in the immediacy – what can this league do on September 3rd when you are sending arguably your two best teams uh, out East to play again, the reigning national champion. And yes, while Florida might be down, Utah still has to go into that environment, you know, deal with the heat, deal with the humidity, deal with 90,000 fans. So September 3rd is a um, September 3rd is a very important day uh, for the PAC 12 as a whole going to play those two games. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the, the Oregon Georgia one is so interesting too, because you get Dan Lanning versus Kirby smart as well. And that's one where it's going to be very tough, obviously for the ducks to pull it out, but as long as they're competitive, and I think that'd be a big thing. If it's a 30 point, just the steamroll over them, that'll be yeah. a bad look. And I think the biggest thing as well for Utah, when we're looking at this is a lot of SCC fans and just in general, it's a lot of those East coast fans are going to look at the PAC 12. If the PAC 12's best team goes into Florida and can't beat an SCC team who has a new head coach, a lot of new players on that roster. I think it's just going to reaffirm what a lot of people believe. So it does make it that much more important. Josh, personally, do you feel like Utah belongs on that level with some of those teams? Maybe not of the Alabama and the Georgia, of course, they're the class of college football right now, but do you feel like they could ease, they can play with teams in the SEC, this current team as constructed? Oh, this current team, yes. Yes, I think I think this current Utah team uh, certainly has enough to, you know, look, you look at the rosters, you look at the depth, like Utah's 22 is clearly objectively better than Florida's 22. Like Utah 100%. is a better Utah is a better football team than Florida. I don't think there's any room to to argue that. But again, you know, you need context, right? You know, this environment, this road trip, 
this, you know, crossing two time zones, dealing with the weather, you know, in a vacuum, in a vacuum, like Utah might be Florida by like two scores. Okay. That's how much better I think Utah is, but there's just so much more, you know, that goes into it. Now we're talking about this Utah team. If you want to talk about a general sense, like should, should Utah, should Utah's program be viewed like on the level, like, should this be happening like every year? Should they be, you know, beating an SEC team every year, playing with an SEC team every year, you know, being ranked number seven, you're among some of the giants of the sport. No, I don't think Utah's program is at the point where this should be an every year thing, but this particular team at this time, yeah, like I think there's enough there and enough talent, enough veterans returning, enough coaching continuity where this Utah team, like, yes, like it should be viewed in the terms that we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's one thing when teams will talk about like, oh, we have five returning starters back. But then you look at it and you're like, okay, well, th those five returning starters aren't any good. This Utah team is returning starters who are really good. Braden Daniels has been a stalwart on the offensive line for a while. Cam Rising, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Tavion Thomas, you look at what he did last year. Got guys like Clark Phillips as well, who depending on the kind of season he has, could be a, one of the top corners drafted in the NFL draft. So I think it's the talent that makes it so interesting for this Utah football team. And it is going to be fun to see how it plays out this Saturday, September 3rd, down in Florida as well. And one thing, Josh, I also wanted to talk with you about is the reason that Utah is in this position with so much talent on its roster is because of the job Kyle Whittingham has done recruiting and building a culture. You talk with any Utah football player, and they'll mention how, one of the reasons they came to Utah is the culture that's been established by Kyle Whittingham. And <clears throat> speaking to Coach Whittingham, you wrote a story about how he kind of has this revitalized sense a little bit after taking some time and stepping away. And I was just curious if you could dive into that a little bit more about what you learned just talking with him as well as kind of writing this story about where he's at with this Utah team. Cause he's been coaching now for 18 seasons. And I think a lot of people are wondering how much more he's got left. Yeah. Look, last year was, was very hard for Kyle Whittingham. Um, you talk about the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, which obviously drastically altered the 2020 season and everything that went along with that and the testing and kids getting sick and games getting canceled and postponed. So that was, that was one level of stress, right? That he's trying to steer this program through a pandemic without a lot of answers, you know, with a lot of logistics. So that was one thing. Then, you know, Ty Jordan's death uh, on Christmas night, 2020, that was something else that he was forced to face and deal with while leading a, a program. Um, Aaron Lowe's death nine months later. So you take all these things, right? You're, you're trying to steer this program through a pandemic. You have two players die within nine months of each other. These are, these are heavy stressors, okay? These are things that are, 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 are stressful and upsetting, and there's no, you know, there's no playbook to deal with those things. Um, so that's one. He is 62 years old, okay? He'll be 63 in November. Um, maybe I've made too much of a big deal about this, but he has said publicly that he, he really doesn't intend to be coaching past 65, okay? Um, he has four children. He has six grandchildren. Um, his, own father, um, his own father died young, I, I believe, in his mid-60s. That is not lost on Kyle Whittingham. So, you know, you take all of the things that I'm talking about and the fact that he essentially, let's be honest, he, he, he essentially got to the mountaintop of his profession last year winning the Pac-12, getting to a Rose Bowl, okay? He got to the summit. 
you take all this, all, all these things into account. And I was talking to him at, at Pac-12 Media Day, and, and I asked him about, you know, when a season ends and you go into the winter, you know, what is your process, right? Do you take a step back? Do you reassess where you are? And when I say where you are, do you reassess your physical health, your emotional health, your spirituality? Do you still have the drive to continue doing this? Because look, the rigors and the grinds of being a power five head coach, it's a lot, okay? Nobody's gonna, you know, nobody's gonna deny that what he does on a daily basis, especially the way the last two years have gone, it's been a lot. And we will never know, nobody outside the, you know, the football facility, you and I will never know what the toll has been on him dealing with these things. So, you know, talk to him at Pac-12 Media Day about taking a step back and reassessing and, 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 and where he is. And yeah, he said, you know, every year, take a step back, reassess where I am, reassess my health, talk to my wife, talk to my family. And he seems, he seems very alive at Pac-12 Media Day. And he looked very healthy and he sounded great. And he, you know, he says his health is great and his emotional health is, is very good. And he is very much looking forward to, you know, to coaching this team. Um, he, he, he is not shying away from the fact that, yes, he, his team is loaded and something special could happen again. And he wants to see this team through. And, you know, he doesn't sound like a guy at all that's ready to step away mm-hmm. anytime soon, right? Like, look, we'll see how this season goes. He'll reassess again at the end of this season. Uh, he's under contract until 2027, which... I think if he coaches through the end of that contract, he'll be 68. Who knows? Um, but right now, having talked to him, you know, one-on-one, getting a sense for it, he sounds like a guy who's very much excited to, to continue doing what he does every day. And he loves it, and he loves the everyday stuff, and he, he, just, he just sounds like he's ready to go. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot to unpack there, what you just went over. And you talked about the emotional draining of losing two players as well, of course, what you had to deal with COVID as well. And that's already added on. It is tough to be a college football coach. I yeah. mean, all the things you have to do running a program, the 365 recruiting cycle, there is just so much that goes into it. So that makes sense. But when you win, like you said, when you win and reach that point like that, that can become an addictive feeling. You want to get back to it. But at what point does that addictive feeling become, okay, what's the ceiling to this? Because is much as some people like me will talk about this Utah team as a chance to reach the college football playoff. There's a reason we're not talking about them winning the college football playoff. You just look at the rosters and the talent on those other sides and Utah would have to play the greatest game probably any college football team has ever played to beat a couple of those teams and somehow win a national championship. The odds of that happening are very slim. So the peak for this team is basically a New Year's Six Bowl. You talked about a Rose Bowl championship and then you get into that fourth spot, maybe the third of the college football playoff and it's just tough to go from there and do that. So it is in, going to be interesting to see how long that is what Kyle Whittingham wants to do when he knows, okay, a national championship probably isn't attainable at this in, in general, which is, it's incredible that Utah's even in this position because that's something they were obviously not in ever before, but it will be interesting to see how long he wants to do that. And Josh, another thing I'm curious in talking to him then is as one of the longest tenure head coach, obviously coach Whittingham has been able to adapt and kind of change his recruiting style, his coaching philosophy, because athletes today are very different in terms of their bodies and just emotions than athletes 20 years ago. What do you think is the biggest reason when we see a lot of other college coaches getting out of the game who are around that kind of 60s age as you talked about and they're used to a different way of coaching why do you think coach Whittingham has been so successful 
Oh, that's a pretty loaded question. Um, yeah, I mean, you you know, you said it pretty well. I, I think I think he he's been able to be successful, especially in the last five, six, seven years, because he's been willing to adapt to the times. Right? Look, the transfer portal uh, becomes a thing. I believe in 2018, and look what they've pulled out of the transfer portal. Right? Uh, Cam Rising, uh, transfer portal guy, uh, Dalton Kincaid. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, you know, guys t- like Char- Charlie Brewer, right? Who he may have not worked out, but that was a huge get. That was a huge get at the time, right? You know, a lot of revisionist history about yeah. what Brewer was among Utah fans. But look, Brewer was a, a 10,000 yard passer at Baylor, and you know, and Kyle Whittingham was able to go get him. Uh, Tavion Thomas, not a, a portal guy, so to speak, but a JUCO guy, and they brought him in. So, um, moving with the times, right? The transfer portal. Uh, the NIL stuff now is a is still a new phenomenon, a new headache. But you know the staff and the administration is trying to get on board, and 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 do a good job with that. Um, you know, just in you know offensive philosophy. I mean, Utah forever is a is a run heavy team. Run, 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 run. Um, they ran the ball fifty eight percent of the time last year. Once Tavion Thomas kind of got it going, you know, week four, week five. But you have a you have a quarterback now in in rising who, you know, a little more mobile, a little more able than, you know, Utah quarterbacks you were seeing six, eight, ten years ago. So, you know, being able, not being able so much, but being willing to adapt to what is around you, being willing to adapt to the times, I think that is a pretty, that's a pretty underrated, under under spoken about reason about why Utah has been really good the last five or six years. The fact that their 60 something year old head coach has been willing to adapt to the times. Yeah, it's been a huge thing. It's why this team has had some of their best recruiting classes in recent memory as well. And as things change, they're very, they're set up for the future as well to have some of that success. And it's going to be interesting to see, and it all gets going this Saturday. So Josh, what are some of the things you have going on in terms of preparation for the kickoff? And you're just excited as the season gets rolling, working with the Tribune. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to some things. I'm working on some preview stuff. Uh, this comes out on on Monday, August 29th. So later this week, uh, I'll have a bunch of preview stuff. I've got a deep dive uh, into Clark Phillips. Uh, spoke with his parents. Spoke with some other people around him. So we'll get into that. I've got the backstory on how this Utah Florida series uh, came together uh, between the two sides. And what else? I've got a thing also on uh, on expectations, right? You and I have spoken about expectations. I've got an interesting kind of nugget thought on on expectations. Uh, there was a there was a certain moment several months ago, and a certain person on the roster that kind of that kind of set the tone for what this Utah season could be. So, a um, bunch of stuff coming out for the trip. Uh, Later this week, uh, I'm on a plane to Florida on Thursday to work on some things uh, pregame. So a um, lot of talking, been talk, 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 and write, 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 write for the last eight months, talking and writing about this Florida game. Uh, personally, you know, from a, from, a, from a work standpoint, from a beat writing standpoint, I am very much looking forward to like getting to Florida and, and soaking it in and, and, and covering a, a game finally on Saturday. 
Yeah, it's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. And that was an unbelievable tease as well, Josh. You got me excited to read that story about <laughs> Player X or whatever. That was a WWE-worthy promo. I absolutely love it. Love it. <laughs> so if love you guys it. want to see more Josh, make sure you guys follow Josh Newman on Twitter, as well as subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune to get great content from Josh. If you guys are in the market for a second listen every day, we also recommend you check out the Locked On Pac-12 podcast, where host Spencer McLaughlin and other local experts will take you around the conference in under 30 minutes. Lots of season previews. And of course, week one is right here. So there's going to be lots of previews as well coming up for the first week of games. It is so great to have college football back. We thank all of you who have tuned in to the Locked On Utes podcast and look forward to being with you for lots of in-season coverage.